Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Okay, we're going to continue on with the National Hispanic Month tribute. And as you know, I have many, many, many episodes. I'm actually reaching 100. I believe next week will be 100. But I really wanted to make sure that I highlight these fabulous Latinas who are trailblazers. And especially for National Hispanic Month, I thought I'd get three very diverse backgrounds of powerful amigas that I interviewed. So I interviewed Vera Jimenez oh, when I started this uh, podcast. And she is not only an amazing woman, she actually, you might have seen her on KTLA, and she is um, the meteorologist for KTLA. And so I really thought that it was important to highlight her story here in the United States. Also, another two women, Dr. Maylene Gonzalez, who is an optometrist. She's my optometrist. And she is Guana. And she also has a very different story, but equally amazing and a trailblazer, of course. And then I also wanted to highlight Lupita Garcia, who is a friend of mine. They're all friends of mine, but she's also a renaissance. She has a business, a real estate business that serves the Latino community and has hired many, many amazing people in her company. So we have different backgrounds, and I wanted to highlight those three because they really epitomize the American dream for women. And so let's continue the trajectory of National Hispanic Month, and let's have this conversation with them. And also, amigas, I'm going to keep plugging this, but... One of the things that I love and enjoy doing is I love doing in-person events and I have another one coming up March 24th in the year 2023 and that's the Empowered Amiga Movement event that we started up earlier this year and we're going to continue on. So I just wanted to make sure that you're aware that this event is coming. We're going to have fabulous opportunities for discounts and also, you know, for gifts. And we have an amazing place. We already have a place here in Los Angeles County. And okay, I'm not going to tell you more, but every week I'm going to try to plug in and tell you a little bit more about the event. But here we go. These three fabulous amigas, Vera, Maylene, and Lupita. So without further ado, here's the interview. Hola, amigas. 
and welcome to Amiga Hand Your Shit podcast. Today, I have a beautiful friend of mine. Her name is Vera Jimenez. Her belief is that we only get one go at it this life and we better make the best of it. Wow. She's got an incredible story and I can't wait for you all to hear her. And without further ado, here is my beautiful friend, Vera Jimenez. I'm excited to have you listen to this beautiful episode with my optometrist. Her name is Dr. Maylene Gonzalez, and she's Cuban-American, and she talks about her journey coming to this country. When she's not poking eyes, her favorite pastime is cooking for her loved ones, discovering new restaurants, and staying fit to keep up with her first two hobbies. So without further ado, this is Dr. Gonzalez. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about Lupita Garcia Rugerio. And um, she was born and raised in Mexico City, Mexico. And she's extraordinary. She's an immigrant who not only has a real estate brokerage firm, but she also has a mortgage brokerage firm. I mean, this woman is a powerhouse and I am so elated that she gets to be here on this podcast so that you can learn that her journey was not an easy one, but rather than me telling you about it, how about we have her talk about it? So without further ado, this is Lupita Garcia Rugerio. So we want to know more about you. You were born in Mexico, where in Mexico and when? (laughs) So uh, 1972, I'll be 49 this year. <laughs> yeah. So my family moved here. So my family's from Michoacan. and that's where we're from. And I still have some family there, but most of my family is now here. We moved to the States when I was three and we moved to Garden Grove. We moved to Orange County. We lived in Santa Ana in these apartments for a little while, but then we moved to Garden Grove. And my mom is still in the house that I grew up in. I'm the last of six. Ooh. My dad died when I was three and my mom never remarried. So you can imagine what that, you can imagine that six people in a three bedroom house with one bathroom. Wow. (laughs) That's that's incredible. Imagine that. Wow. So, So yeah, so we were really lucky because we had extended family. I had aunts and uncles. My mom comes from a pretty close family. So we all helped each other out. In fact, you know, my mom's little brother, was a resident and a citizen. We were not. We came here illegally. We crossed the border illegally in bits and pieces, just like most families do. And eventually, through the Ronald Reagan amnesty program is how we got permanent residency. But that was a really long and slow and tough journey. One of the things that they did back then that they aren't doing now, I don't believe, is they're making you have proof of stability for 10 years, which means that you had to be able to prove where you worked for 10 years. You had to have three people that were not related to you, that were not blood relatives, give you a reference. So luckily, my mom was a bit of a pat rack. And she saved everything. We had shoe boxes and shoe boxes of check stubs. For like 20 years. So she like, well, honestly, we pulled out shoe boxes of, of these check stubs that she'd been saving. Who knows for what, but she was saving them. And this is why she, this is why God told her to save them. And this is why she saved them. Yes. So, so you know, so luckily it was pretty simple because for that entire time, she worked at the same company. She worked at a small company that made wooden toys and she worked in a factory. And back then, you know, in the, I would say 80s, If you didn't show up to work, you didn't get paid. So there was no vacation pay. There was no medical benefits. There was none of that. You know, if you didn't show, you didn't get paid. And she had six kids to feed. So guess what? She went to work every day. Every day. I could tell you where that woman was every day of my life. She was never away from us. She never obviously got remarried. So she never had a boyfriend. Always family. It was always family at home. It was Working, doing laundry, cooking, cleaning, working, doing laundry, cooking, cleaning. That's what she did. She was one of those moms that 
I don't know, maybe old fashioned, but it was just, she like understood that she was the parent and she was both parents. Cause again, dad wasn't around. So she was tough. She was tough. She didn't have a lot of patience. There was no explaining why the word no was all you ever heard. I think that that's a Latina, like old school Latina, you know, there, they, there's no explanation. I mean, I know I grew up that way. It's like, no, mommy, can I go? No. Exactly. Oh my God. Then you and I had some similarities there because right now as a mom, my daughter will ask me, it's like, well, why can't I go? And then I feel like I need to give her an explanation. Why can't I be like old school? No, <laughs> no means no. <laughs> means no. So exactly. Six people in one house. Uh, I can imagine your mom going loca. <laughs> right. We used to, you know, we didn't have a washer and dryer. My, we, one of the things that I learned about my mom was if you didn't have money to pay for it, you didn't buy it. That's just the way it was. And so for the longest time, we didn't have a washer and dryer. But we were really lucky because my mom didn't have a car either. But we lived across the street from a laundromat. So we used to cross this really big, busy street to go to the laundromat. And that's what my mom and I did either Saturdays or Sunday mornings. We would get up really early and we would put everything in our basket. We would run across the street and we would do the laundry. And that was, you know, that was kind of like our bonding time. I spent a lot of time with my mom, tons of time with my mom. And so, you know, that's one of the things that now I'm really grateful for that I learned from her is the not going into debt, not going into debt for things that didn't matter. You know, like, obviously, if you were going to buy a car, if you were going to buy a house, then you would go into debt. But a washer and dryer, oh, no, that wasn't a big enough, that wasn't a big enough need for her to go into debt. And so that was one of the things that I learned from my mom. And so, you know, at 15 and a half, I, I got my first job. Because I knew that, like, I had braces at that point. I had really bad teeth. I had gnarly teeth. This tooth right here was completely turned around. It wasn't even flat. It was like this. Oh, my really bad teeth. So when I finally got braces, my mom was on an installment plan. And I knew that was, like, a big spin for her. And I felt terrible. So I got my first job at 15 and a half. And I don't say this proudly, but it is part of my history. I, you know, I didn't have a residency. At that point, amnesty wasn't in place yet, so I didn't have a social security number. In fact, I we didn't get residency and I didn't get a real social security number until I was 16 and a half. So I got that job at Baskin Robbins with a made-up social security card. <laughs> well, honey, everybody did. You know, I, I have clients, you know, I'm an immigration attorney as well. And I had clients that would just get their social security numbers in MacArthur Park. MacArthur right? Park. <laughs> yes. Back then we didn't have a MacArthur Park. You just pulled one out of the air. You just made one up. You made one up. Yeah. You do what you got to do sometimes. I mean, not that we're condoning that, but um, desperate times call for desperate measures. Right? Yeah. Your, your mom had six mouths to feed and her. her. And so it's... Uh, right. You got to do what you got to do. Oh, my God. I love the story. So you go to Baskin Robbins. You're like this little girl, 15 and a half, and then you get your residency. So then what happens after? Well, at that point, there was a definitely relief. And I think the reason why there was relief is because I could see that my mom felt relieved. My mom felt like now she could actually strive for something better. Now, keep in mind, my mom is a woman with a sixth grade education. You know, for her, and I never understood this until my husband one day sat me down and said, look, your mom is living the American dream. Like I always used to say, like, why didn't she, you know, strive for more? My mom is really wise. She's really intelligent. Why didn't she push for more? Why did she settle for this? And my husband, Brian, sat me down one day and was just like, not mad, but I could tell he was really disappointed that I had said that because he said, you know, you know, and my husband's like white Irish guy from Massachusetts. <laughs> I was down one day and he said, your mom is the American dream. He said, you know, your mom crossed here with six kids. Never thought that she would have that, but you know, my mom now like owns her house. She's so proud to own her house and live independent. She feels like she would always say to me, I never want to be a burden to my children. I never want to be a burden to my children. And to this day, my mom is 83 years old and still lives by herself in that house. 
Wow. Wow. And that was her version of the American dream. And because I think so much of my mom is that I think she could have had so much more, but Brian is right. She's a little girl from a small town in Mexico. She used to have to wear a yoke after sixth grade. They pull you out if you're a girl and you then work the family farm or you do whatever. So my mom would get up, she would put a yoke on, food on one side, water in the other, walk it out to the fields, feed the men, water the men, come back and do it all over again. And that was basically the way my mom grew up. And so for her, she would always say to me, why this world, why TV? Like that doesn't sound like a great job. Women have to do all kinds of crazy things to get jobs on television. What, like, you know, meaning like the casting couch. Yeah. And I would say, no, they don't. And I'm not going to. She would say to me, why can't you just get an office job, you know, with benefits and insurance and two weeks vacation? And I thought, you crossed the border. You brought me here to give me a better opportunity. You suffered humiliations the three times that you were deported. My mom was deported three times. You went, you suffered all of this and you want me to settle for less than my dream. You want me to settle for less than what I know I can attain. And I, that to, that to me was where she and I would fight. She, we would fight because when we would have these conversations, I didn't have the vocabulary and I didn't have the, I didn't have the wherewithal to explain to her that what I was doing was for me, but in essence, it was for her too. Because me succeeding and me, I was doing that for her because I wanted to show her that her sacrifices and that her hard work was not in vain. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so now that I'm almost 50 years old, I can actually explain that to her. But when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, trying to explain to her that, no, mom, you're not, your daughter isn't going to end up on the casting couch. Your daughter is not going to be a Me Too, you know, movement girl. You know, I, you gave me morals. You gave me value. You gave me a good sense of, of that so that you don't have to worry about that. Oh my God, I love that. You know, I think that oftentimes, well, when we are in our 20s, 30s, I don't think, any, I don't know any, personally, I don't know any mother-daughter relationship that is like super amazing. I think those are the years where you're like at each other's throats, you know, because your personality is starting and your mom is still in her way, but you're still not understanding her way. It's like you had to grow up in order to look back and be like, I get it now, mom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Every sacrifice that you've done, I'm doing what I got to do because of you, because I want to better myself and make you proud of me. Right. I mean, ultimately we want to make our parents proud, right? Mm -hmm. Wow. I love your mom. I want, I want to meet her. <laughs> she's, she's a, so Dr. Gonzalez, where are you originally from? Okay. I was born in Cuba. Yeah, girl. In 1979. <laughs> I was born in Cuba, raised there for just a little bit and left uh, Cuba when I was four to come to the U.S. And that's when I joined a small part of my family in New Jersey. And not a Miami Cuban, a New Jersey Cuban, a little further north. And, you know, that's sort of where I grew up, you know, bilingual you know, speaking Spanish at home primarily, at still speaking Spanish with mom and dad primarily, and grew up in a very white neighborhood in New Jersey and shell-shocked big time. You know, I was just like, you know, why is everybody so serious? You know, <laughs> is, why, is there, why are we so cold? Why is it so cold all the time? But, you know, acclimating to the States and growing up in New Jersey and, and sort of a different life at home versus life outside the home was, was very, very different. Um, so yeah, originally Cuban, but grew up in Jersey. Yeah. So what uh, made your parents come to the States? Communism, mostly, as you know, a lot of, there's not a lot of opportunities in a lot of Latino American countries and the Caribbean is, is definitely part of that. And, you know, communism was definitely something that really wasn't working for my parents. It was incredibly oppressive and, 
you know, they didn't have any opportunities to really grow anything in Cuba. If anything, the Cuban government, as you know, with everything happening right now, um, it was just taking and taking and taking, you know. So it's a beautiful idea as far as like everyone should have the same and we should all share. Uh, But it's terrible when, you know, you work really, really hard and the government just takes everything that you that you make and earn. And they take kind of I mean, imagine if our taxes were 40 to 60 percent if not more, you know? And so mom and dad didn't really see an opportunity for us. And they were really scared for my sister and I to have to join the military because that's mandatory in Cuba. Even women. Women doesn't matter. And when you're a kid, I think maybe even like sixth, sixth grade and the summers they send you to camp, I'm putting this in quotes, and it's basically they're working, they're working camps. Like you're working at, you know, a sugar field or something. You know, it, my mom told me, she was just like, you know, as a kid, you think it's fun because you're going away to camp, but it's like manual free labor basically is what you're doing. Yeah. So my parents were really worried and scared about our future as women, as people in the world. And so thankfully my dad is, my dad's father was born in Spain. And back in the day, if your parents weren't like, native Cubans and they weren't born there, they were able to kind of get you out. So my dad's dad was here in the States and was able to claim his son and was able to basically bring him with political asylum. And because my dad was married and he had kids, we were able to go with him. But the last couple of months of being in Cuba, knowing that we were betraying the communist party, we weren't necessarily safe my dad was kind of being sort of hunted down and, you know, we had to hide. And I mean, I don't remember cause I was four, but yeah. it was, it was really scary. Like we were definitely hiding. Like, you know, I hear stories about encampments with Jewish friends that I've had that they're like, Oh, my grandparents had to hide in a basement. It's like, we had to go through some similar stuff like that. And even just leaving the country the day we were leaving the country, as far as like getting on an airplane, like not, it wasn't just the Cuban government, but my dad's friends, And even some family members thought that we were traitors and we were betraying the country. So there was just like, it was just very scary for my mom and dad to do what they did. But thankfully we were able to leave and we lived in Spain for probably about a month because it was like the easiest way to get out was to go through Spain. Right. And then after that, we went to the States where my dad had his dad and some sprinkles of family, but mostly, you know, that typical immigrant, like I had $10 in my pocket and, you know, went to make it work and stuff. And, you know, my parents went and worked in factories while my sister and I were basically learning English. Where she came from, because I know you live here in the United States, but your story doesn't begin there. It starts where you were born. So tell us, tell us about your family, your upbringing and where you're at now. Okay. Awesome. So I was born in Mexico city and uh, I came uh, to this country when I was 20 years old. But just to back up a little bit, when I was born, my father was an attorney at law and my mother was a stay-at-home mom by conviction because she also went to school. She was a bilingual secretary, and uh, but she didn't want to work. She wanted to take care of her kids. I am the second child of three, the middle one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brother he still resides in Mexico City and I have my sister that she also works for Coldwell Banker Leaders at the company and um, we um, as growing up we were like a very close family my mom always empowered us to do the best and be the best and she always was there for us Mm -hmm. to create this type of mentality with where you have to strive for number one nothing less we were like a medium-class family. We went to a public school. I was going to public school. And uh, and when once I graduated from La Secundaria, you know, like yeah. high school, something like that, yeah. middle school, I will say, my mom took me to this school, uh, one of the best schools in Mexico, Escuela Bancaria y Comercial, where okay. I did uh, my career and I have a background in accounting in Mexico. I wanted to go to Tecnológico de Monterrey, you know, that's where I wanted to go. But my brother was the, had the privilege to go that, to, go, to go that route, right? I mean, it's always the guy. Always the guy. <laughs> that, must have, that must have, like, maybe made you mad? Yes, it did, actually. Right? Yes. Right? Totally. Like, the, the, the double standards, especially in Mexico. Yes. That the boy gets first pick, yes. which is sad. It's Correct. sad. 
Yeah, and wow. he was uh, very smart, and uh, and as of today, he still is very intelligent. I mean, like uh, I can, I don't have words enough words to describe how intelligent my brother is. But when I graduated from the high school and I wanted to go to technological, my mom said no because you are not gonna get the full scholarship, and the school is really expensive. So we will offer you this school that it's also the best school, but you are have to go to one of these technological careers. And then uh, because one day you're going to get married and you're going to be staying home mom and you're not going to do more than that. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I want to talk about that because it's already beginning. The molding, the limitation starts really early in Mexico and it does here as well but oh my did you think that that was going to happen or did you have other other dreams well probably I thought that in a way that will happen but I didn't see it like uh, happening right per se because I said my brother is really intelligent and I'm too right I mean he's a yeah. sports player like uh, in Mexico it's like a 10 yes yeah, uh, in here it's a plus plus, right? And I got that too. And then I said, why I can go to that school, right? So it kind of frustrated me, but I went to that school and I excelled too. Yeah. So I did so well. And uh, and then when I was like a 19 years old, it was so funny. I was dating this guy that uh, I met at the school, right? And he was 13 years older than me and no. he wanted to marry me. And uh, I don't know, sometimes life and God and the universe and things happen in mysterious ways that uh, he went to ask my parents for my hand. And I was going to get married already. We had the church and the venue and everything was already done. And guess what happened? So all of a sudden, I get a letter from the United States from a guy that is the father of my kids. And he invites me to come over. And I said, how did you hear about me? And then he said, oh, because I saw you in a video from one of your family members, your aunt and your uncle. And I said, what? And then he's like, yeah, I want you to come. I'm going to pay you for your ticket. And I want to meet you because you're really beautiful and you seem really smart. And I said, no, you're crazy. I'm going to get married. And then he's like, <laughs> he's like, don't get married. He's an old man. Your uncle already told me about it. Please come over. So guess what? I don't know how did I pull it together, but I canceled my wedding and I came to with my uncle because he was residing here and my the father of my kids, now my ex-husband, right? Yeah. And then uh, I stayed here. And then uh, I was 20 years old. My father and my mom cried why did you go there? We give you such a great life, you know, we push you to do the best that we could offer you. And now you're going to stay in the United States. You don't have any family. You don't have no one. Your uncle is just your uncle. He's going to live with his family and his wife. And what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm in love and I'm going to marry this guy. And my mom and dad said, no, you're crazy. And I said, no, I, but see, this happened so fast. That in six months from when I came here, I was married. And then by the same time, I was pregnant. And then, I mean, I came here in December of 1991. And then by May of 1992, I was already married. And in June, I was pregnant of my first daughter. Oh, wow. So, yeah. It was, like, it was like flash, flash dances, like boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Yes. Oh my goodness. And then that's when the story actually begins because this okay. is what happened. So there is Lupita that had everything in Mexico City, a very good life, a very good family, you know, everybody was presa in my surroundings, you know. You know how that goes, right? Yes. I mean, yes. Happy hours and then karaoke. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Oh my and God. <laughs> you come here, no family, no English. So back then, I didn't have, I had a really good grammar. I can write, I can do essays, I can do everything in writing, but my pronunciation was bad. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't speak it. Even to go to the store, nobody back then, I mean, I'm talking 30 years ago, will speak Spanish. Yeah. I mean, I will have to really literally read what I wanted to say and speak really slow so people will understand me. Wow. So then that is part of my attention because I said, wow, okay, I'm pregnant. I'm really young. I don't have my family. What am I going to do? Right. 
So yeah. my sister-in-law said, oh, come over, work with me on the garment industry. We're going to get you a job where they're going to pay you $3 and $75 an hour. Uh, when was this? <laughs> 1992 oh <laughs> and they're God. gonna be cutting the needles uh how do you call it no not the needles the what is it the thread from the blouses oh, yeah oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so i remember that day and you have to picture this i was standing up in a line with full of women yeah right yeah and then for eight hours straight because they they didn't even give us a break to go eat i mean my break was 10 minutes and i, I have to go back and then I was standing on my feet doing that labor. And when I got home, I got fever. I was really sick and crying like a brave baby. And then I called my mom and I said, this is what happened to me. I said, I don't know. And, and there were no cell phones. We couldn't afford a cell phone. So I went to a pay phone to call my mom. And the money that I put in my phone, I mean, I was, it was only two minutes call. And I remembered her words so clearly in my head. Lupita, we didn't send you to school for this. Really? You're going to be doing that kind of job? Go to school, learn English, and use what you learn here in the, in the school, you know, in the Escuela Bancaria y Comercial, and yeah. go get a real job, because yeah. we didn't raise you to do that. Right. Your father is really mad, because you shouldn't be doing that. And he's, and he's the judge, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, so it's, like, it's, it's like me saying to my daughter, like, yeah, go get a labor job. And I'm being a lawyer. Like how that does not register. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No. And, and then I said, and then she's like, uh, you need to come back home now because we don't want you living there. You have a home here. Your brothers are here. Your friends are here. What are you doing there? Your whole family, your world is here. But then that's what happened so the word and then I said you know what I'm gonna show my family that I can make it happen I'm gonna go to school I'm gonna listen to my mom I'm gonna quit my job and then I'm gonna learn the language that's the first thing that I'm gonna do yeah yeah so I get home all excited and then I tell my ex-husband and then I said I'm quitting the job oh my god my sister-in-law got crazy and what you're going to go to school. You're not in Mexico. What are you going to do? You need to leave. You need to eat and this and that. And I said, well, I don't care if I eat with nothing. I mean, it's fine. I'm going to make it happen. So I, I enrolled myself in three shifts at the school. I went from nine to 12, from one to four, and then from six to nine. The whole you- for six months. <laughs> You meant business. You were you were like ready, like uh, uh-uh, I'm gonna make this. The you're gonna make shit happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> the funny little lady. She's my mom's complete opposite of me. I, you know, my, again, my dad died when I was three, so I have really no idea what he was like because I don't remember him. But I can tell you that I am nothing like my mother. The only thing that I know now that I have for my mom is the work ethic. But I think all of her children have that work ethic because we just saw her day in and day out. One day, my my oldest brother said to me, he was so annoyed at my mom because he wasn't feeling good. He felt like he was catching a cold or something. And he was thinking about calling out sick and staying home. And for whatever reason, he thought of my mom and he got out of bed and he went to work because he remembered all of those days that my mom had gotten up and gone to work, no matter how she felt, how tired, how sick, whatever. He said, I can't even call in sick because I think a mom and I feel guilty. And he got up <laughs> But it's true because back in the 80s, you only got paid if you showed up, right? And it's just a testament on the influence that she had on you guys. Yeah. Your work ethic is number one. So let's talk about this work ethic. I realized that, you know, you have this family that you've been working since 15 and a half years old. You have this influence from your mom. You have this dream. So let's talk about this dream further because I know you've done so many things, but one of the biggest things that you've done is become a meteorologist. So how did that unfold? 
Well, you know, I'm going to be really honest. The working on television was really not the dream. The dream was actually to work in radio where you don't have to wear makeup and worry about what your hair looks like and worry about what you look like because nobody sees you. You put on a baseball hat, you put on your glasses, you put on a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt and you are out the door and working it. Nobody knows any different, you know? And so that was really the dream. When I was growing up, I used to listen to Lisa May on K-Rock do the traffic. And I thought, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I was so into I was so into K Rock. So yes, I do remember that. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, and now she's a really good friend of mine because we ended up working together, and we still keep in touch to to this day. And I just thought, man, that would be a job if I could just do that. It would be awesome, right? So fast forward years later, you know, I'm like junior high school when I'm thinking about that. I'm at Santa Ana Community College because I went to community college and then I went to a state school. And then from there, I went to another state school. So my professor, this is the early 90s, and and my professor, Bud Little, says to me one day, promise me that you're going to try to get a job in television because newspapers, I wanted to write, I wanted to be a freelance writer and I wanted to work in radio. Now, if you know anything about medium of that kind of medium it doesn't pay radio doesn't pay and writing doesn't really pay unless you're a big syndicated reporter or journalist and then you get paid but for the most part neither one of those really make a lot of money for you so I thought that's okay if I can write and I can work in radio I'll be able to put a living together and all will be well you know I'm not going to be rich but I'll be happy and that's all that really matters so I did try working in television and I didn't like it for all the reasons that I knew I wasn't going to like it it's all about hair and makeup. That's that's primary. And I get it. Back then, I didn't understand it. But you think about it. You turn on the TV and you look at someone and you go, oh, okay. That person does not look offensive to my eye. I'm going to stay and I'm going to watch. And then you go, okay, I will, that person's voice does not annoy me. So I'm going to stay and I'm going to hear. And then I'm going to listen. And you know what? I can sit with this. But again, it's a very aesthetic medium. So that's why the hair and the makeup is so important. This is why you can't go on TV looking like this, by the way, ladies. <laughs> so amazing. She looks amazing. Yeah. So I knew that just wasn't for me. So I went back to what I wanted to do, which was working in radio and writing. So once I graduated from Cal State Long Beach, I had just started sending out queries. And queries are things that you write to newspapers and magazines to let them know what you want to write about. And if they're interested in the story, then they hire you freelance and that's how you make a living. So right about that time, a friend of mine called me that I worked in radio who had left radio and gone to TV. And he said, hey, ABC needs a new traffic reporter. And at this point, I was already working as a traffic reporter, airborne and in studio. So I had the experience. I go to the audition. I'm like, I don't want to do this. Don't have any interest in working in television. He said, don't be a dumbass. It pays a lot more money than radio. Trust me, you want to do this. I went, I auditioned. I didn't get the job. They called me back six months later and said, we want you to re-audition again. I'd seen all the girls that they hired between my first audition and when they called me back. And they were stunning. They were like models. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So they call me back and I'm like, okay, well, can you tell me why you didn't hire me the first time? Because otherwise you're just going to get the same exact thing. And they're like, why don't you put on some makeup and straighten your hair? (laughs) So I asked, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Uh, No, everything else. Just put on some makeup and straighten your hair. So I put on some makeup. I straightened my hair. I got done with the audition. They're like, can you start on Monday? That was a Friday. I started on Monday. Oh my God. Wow. And this is ABC. That was at ABC. That was at uh, ABC 7 Eyewitness News. That was my first job in TV. Wow. Wow. And they came to the makeup and here you are. (laughs) You were saying like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put on makeup. I don't want to dress up. I don't want to do any of that stuff. But yet you said yes. Well, I had to because Jay was right. It pays a lot more money than working in radio and writing freelance. And I'm not starving. And in essence, I'm really happy that I've done that because it's opened up a lot of opportunities to do a lot of nonprofit work that I would have never, I don't think that I would have had the courage to do without that platform. And so, yeah, I mean, you were four years old, but I'm sure there's some sort of childhood trauma with that. 
Oh, 100%. Um, yes. Now living in, in Los Angeles, California, where you feel everything and you're supposed <laughs> to discover your soul and find, you know, I've actually done a lot of, I've worked with healers and I've worked with, you know, I really believe in magic in that way. And, you know, I've had these incredible journeys and experiences of like kind of almost going back to that, to those moments in my life and really missing my tribe. You know, when we left Cuba, I've had memories like with, with my healer when I was working with him. Oh my God, it makes me sound like such a Californian when I say that. It was with my healer. But girl, um, don't worry about it because the listeners are are with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way. I mean, listen, I grew up with like my grandmother practicing Santeria. So yeah. like going to a healer was just like, oh yeah, of course. It's like going and to the dentist. <laughs> for sure. And when he was like in my heart chakra, I like I literally would see my family at the age of four and leaving and going to this like foreign place. And I remember as a kid, getting sick a lot, you know, as personal as this could be, it's like wetting the bed again at the age of five and sleepwalking and doing all these weird things when I was a baby. And like now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I must've been like super scared, super traumatized, I'm completely like, and as an adult, I've had, I've dealt with a lot of anxiety as, as a human being and like, didn't know where this came from, you know, and, and through psychology and psychologists are just like, well, yeah, hello, like this stuff happens to you when you're a kid. And, and all these new environments, even though mom and dad were always like super loving and supportive, it still felt like things had been ripped out of me without me knowing. And there's a longing sometimes that you have and it's unconscious but, you know, it's it's crazy when your world just gets turned upside down, I think, when you're that little, you know? Absolutely. It's Whether it's four years old, five years old, even when you're in your 20s, like yeah. if you get ripped out of something that you know so well, I mean, that is traumatic. Yeah. Wow. This yeah. is fascinating. So now you're dealing with this, like now you understand what yeah. happened and what did you ever ask your parents like, hey, do you realize that you scared the shit out of me? Yeah, it's so crazy. I've done, um, again, going back to like wellness and healing, I've done it all. And I worked with a therapist for a few years here in LA and we did EMDR, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's electromagnetic disassociated resonance or something. It's basically something where they basically go in your brain and they figure out like where the trauma lives and we try to like undo it. And I did a bunch of sessions with her in regards to, you know, why am I, why do I have such abandonment issues? Like my parents were always around, they're still married, you know, like nobody abandoned me. And then, you know, we did all these things. So I wound up having to ask my parents these very intimate questions about like, mom, how was a pregnancy when you were pregnant with me? Were you and dad getting along? Like all these really interesting questions that I don't think enough of us ask our parents and we really should because the answers are interesting. And yeah, they were totally stressed out and scared for their lives. And even before I was born, you know, like I said, we left four years later, but it was like this oppressive state and country that they lived in where they felt, they felt like they had, they were just they had no rights. They, they didn't have any autonomy. They didn't have any autonomy to their own life and their own choosing, you know? And so there was a lot of, of things that they experienced before I was born. And then after I was born and just being in another country, they don't speak the language. They don't know anybody like, how are you going to make a living? You know, this stuff is, was really hard and they tried their best. Like most, I think, immigrant parents to shelter their children and love their children and to try to be like, Hey, we're broke, but you didn't know it. You know what I mean? And like (laughs) try to do everything that they could for us and like give us the best Christmas that they could, you know? And, and so, but yeah, I mean, now as, as a 40 year old, when I've been able to slow down my life a little bit and feel more settled in certain and other parts, I've been able to explore these things a little bit more and understand the birth of my anxiety or the birth of my abandonment issues or the birth of my, why do I get scared in certain situations? You know, I've been able to actually really dive into that stuff more. And, and it really comes down to like the beginning, you yes. know, of where it all started. As someone who has been pregnant, the last month is so difficult. Yeah. And so how did you manage? Like that is just, to me, it boggles my brain. <laughs> to even think with your big belly working at this bar and wow how did you do it I just had this thing in my mind that uh, I needed to save money and that I couldn't be renting a bedroom because that's what we did we rent a bedroom from a house and I was sleeping on the floor and I remember me borrowing blankets and uh, we didn't have money. We ate tuna can. That was my actually lunch. 
will put the pennies and quarters and everything together to buy, you know, our breakfast that was Cheerios with meal. That was, I mean, everything that we can afford because it was either one or another. We borrow a car to go to work. It was, uh, I remember this car, it was so old that it always had all kinds of problems. <laughs> <laughs> For real. It was, it was crazy the way that things happen. And, uh, but I just had in my head, I cannot be living like this. I mean, if my mom and my dad, they come and they come to see my baby, how are they going to see me living in this apartment? And I don't even have furniture. All I, I mean, by when I was already going to give birth, all I had was a mattress and a chair. And I remember my mom and I, we went to big lots to buy one piece of furniture so we can put the clothes for the baby and the pampers and things like that. So that thing, it was my drive. I said, this cannot be happening. That's how I managed, you know, being with my big old belly and then I still go to work, you know, and I give birth. My mom came. I remember she was like, stop working. You cannot go to work anymore. You're going to give birth. Ah, hija, you shouldn't be living here. I mean, really? You have your house in Mexico. What are you yeah. doing here? And then I was like, no, mom, everything is going to be fine. Yeah. She slept in the floor with me. I remember she oh. left me the mattress and then she was sleeping on the carpet. And I said, that's not going to happen. I'm going to take care of my mom all my life. I, whatever I have to do, I don't care, you know? Yeah. So that's basically what happened. So the baby came and then I said, oh, my God, now we have to pay babysitter because my mom went back to Mexico, right? So then I said, okay, so now babysitter, it is. So I keep on going to school. And then when I went to college, I mean, I, I was going to Montsac already. Okay. I met this, this uh, couple. She was going to be a nun and he was going to be a priest. I remember them so clearly because they both decided to go in another direction and they got married. Okay. But they were such a kind couple that the lady said, look, if you want to succeed in life, what you need to do, you need to spend money in your education. So I offer you for me to be your, your teacher. I teach, I, I taught for so many years when I was a nun. And let's do a one-on-one -on -one English. So you can learn better the way to communicate. So you can express what you want to do. And believe me, you're going to do so well in life. So I remember pulling my money together that I earned, you know, working at night and going to the SWAT meets because by then I was already selling clothes at the SWAT meets and farmer's markets, right? And then I hired her. So she gave me a one-on-one -on -one class for six months. So yeah. I can really articulate. We will sing songs. She sent me to church and I have to do the Holy Mary and the Father, Our Father, everything. I need to learn everything. So then I can go ahead and speak the language. So it took me, what is it, like a year and a half to, to get to that level, you know? And, uh, and that's what I, I will say that brought me to the right direction to be where I am. Because if I didn't have the language, it will be probably three or four times harder to get what I wanted to be, you know? Yeah. Because back then it was different. It's not like now you can get a job where people are Hispanic and then just speak Spanish and then you right. can still succeed, right? Right. But before it was different. So oh, it opened yeah. so many doors. And uh, that's how I came here. That's how yeah. my story began. You were this amazing, smart kid in high school. You go through these SATs and you bomb them, but yet you're a doctor. So how does this happen? Yeah. Work, work, work. Like Rihanna said, you better work, work, work. Um, <laughs> but it, it paid off because I got to build this business and I got to really change some lives, especially the people that worked for me and some of the interns that I had in there. Cause I was just like, I want to inspire people because I did come from nothing in the sense of like, you know, again, we build ourselves in this country and like, thank God we were able to build ourselves and if I can do it, anybody can do it as a woman, as a queer woman, as a Latina, as like, you know, a minority of all in every case, in every way to be able to open up a company and a business in Santa Monica, California, which is a big city in the United States and be successful. And girl, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, if I can do this, I need to tell other people they can do this. Yeah. 100%. So I enrolled myself in Montsac and Citrus College and I used to go to work you know, at the real estate office during the day, 
And then at night, my ex-husband will watch the kid and then I will go to school from 6 to 9 p.m. So it was a four years that I didn't have a social life. It was only my family and my work and church. That's it. You had very specific and measurable goals. And you need to have that in order to embark something new. And so I love what you said. It's like, okay, by this day, by 2000 or 2004, this is going to be about my education to get my broker's license. Like you were committed. Yeah. And that is super important for me guys to understand that if you have a desire to do anything, you need to be committed and you need to take action. Correct. Right. Like, like yes, we, we can have goals, we can have dreams, but if you don't, if you're not uh, committed or don't have it very specific, like timeline, you need to be like, okay, by this day, this yes. has to happen. I mean, I think that, you know, as amigas, we, it's so important for us to address those things because we can dream, we can have goals, but that means nothing mm-hmm. in reality until you put action behind those goals and dreams. Correct. Right? And let me tell you, it just happened like that. I mean, it was the year of 2000 when I said that I was going to do that. And in the meantime, like I said, I was just dedicated to my family, to my study, to everything. I, I remember my friends, you know, from the nightclub and uh, other friends that I met at a school. They used to invite me for happy hour to go to social events and things like that. And, and then I would be like, oh, no, I can't. I mean, I have to be. And they will make fun of me. They will say, oh, eres un ratón de biblioteca. Y les decía, okay, let me be a ratón de biblioteca. <laughs> <laughs> Así library, es. A library of house, right? That's what yeah, I thought yeah. or something like that. But I, yeah. I, I don't, I didn't really care. I, I just had a goal in my mind. So on, the, on that mean period, I mean, meantime, I remember I met this broker. He was so nice. He's still alive. He's on his 90s now. But he sit down with me and then he's like, you know, I see a lot of potential in you. You know, I can be your rent broker if you want to open your office. I think that you have the potential of doing it. You need to make some investment. And, you know, I think that you have the leadership skills that are required. Let's do it. And then I said, really? And then he's like, yeah. So then I went ahead and opened my office. And my first office was called the CMR team. And that was open in 2002. Yeah. So uh, I started designing with my own creations and ideas, my systems like, uh, oh, we need files or oh, we need this. And since I have my mom's and dad's background, right, because I remember my dad, you know, he used to have his own office in Mexico, too, where he took some cases from clients. I remember having his organization and things like that. And I took that with me, you know, to bring it to my own office. So it was like a really nice when when I brought my dad and my mom, I remember the day when we opened the office, they were like, wow. And then how did you come up with this idea? And then I said, well, I really wanted to make you proud. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted you to see that I didn't come to be just like an average person. I wanted to be successful and for you to feel like I did something, not my brother only. I did it too. Yeah. Yeah. So they were so happy and I was so happy that I was able to show what I did, you know, to them. Right. So I got uh, this friend that came and said, oh, Lupita, another angel, right? 2002. She comes, works for my office for one year only. But listen to what she left me with. She's like, Lupita, you're doing good. You're a realtor. Now you can do loans too, because back then you didn't need a license to do loans. She's like, you need to get involved with an organization that will give you a designation. You cannot be the average realtor. You have to have other skills that people will look up to you. Get your notary license. I know that you're working on your broker's license, but there is an institute that it's called e-designations in Pasadena where you can get your GRI designation. And then from there, you can become a CRS. And from them, you can become a CNA. And then you can become a CSRES. And then you can become like, a, she brought me all of these things and opened my eyes. And then she's like, I'm going to go with you. And then she came with me and we got enrolled together at the GRI. 
And I remember us carpooling every month because it took us 12 months to get the designation. And then she's like, are you ready for your CRS? I'm not going to persuade that because I think my job here is done. I'm leaving. Oh, my God. She's still my friend, let me tell you. But that, those were her words, and I will never forget them. I saw her like, a, I would say two years ago. And then mm-hmm. she's like, a, I knew this will happen. I don't know. I don't know how. Don't ask me how. But that, that's what she said. My job is done here. You're on your way. Oh, my God. That is like a movie. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. That yeah. is so incredible. It I is. mean, you know, I've gotten hits like that where... I've had many angels in my life in physical form. And it's so powerful when it comes from somebody else to tell you, like, my job has been done. Mm-hmm. That's right? exactly what you said. Exactly. And if so it wasn't powerful. for her as of today, I will say my eyes will still be just a realtor or maybe shot like a, there was nothing else. Yeah. And I learned so much because let me tell you, when I got enrolled into the CRS, I met so many successful people, like uh, many brokers across United States that brought me into this organization that it's called Star Power. And from there, our business duplicate, triplicate, quadruplicate. I mean, it was amazing like uh, because, because I learned what successful people did. So I learned that I had to role model other people that were successful. Why should I be thinking that I can just invent the wheel when it's already been invented, right? So yes. that's exactly what I did. Yes. That's a very important point to make. You need to model other people that you aspire to be and learn their skills, their hacks, their tips, their habits, their everything. Yes. You know, I think um, oftentimes there's uh, many people out there that instead of supporting and helping, and admiring and modeling, you break down people. And that's not the way to go. It's so important for us as Latinas, as amigas, to understand that if you see a success, successful person, you want to be near their circle. Yes, I, I always say we're the average of the five people that you are with, or hanging out with, you know, right. and, and um, proximity to power is amazing. And Correct. you were there. And it's so important for, for amigas out there to understand that um, model the success of other people. Correct. Right? Yes. I completely agree with you. Like, look at you. Like now, I mean, you're all over teaching people, being of service, doing mentorships. I mean, you are just an amazing woman. I can't stop talking about you. Well, oh thank God. you. Thank you. And, you know, and I think, also, too, you have to remember is that, you know, you don't do it by yourself. You know, I I had help along the way. I had people that helped me. You know, it's a hand up, not a hand out. I'm a big believer in you give people a hand, you teach them. You teach them how to feed themselves and feed their families so that then they can become independent. Because I think when you are independent and you're providing for your family and you're providing for yourself and you can take care of yourself, you have the confidence to face the world. You can, you walk out with your held head up high and you go, no, this is me. I earned this. No one gets to take credit for this, but me. And when you have that confidence, people can try to put you down. People can try to discriminate against you. People can try to you know, treat you as your less than. But when you know what you've done, when you know what you're capable of, you go, oh no, you got this all wrong. Right, right, right. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's why you're handling your shit, girl. (laughs) Thank you for the invitation, Jackie. I really appreciate it. And if any amigas need my help in any aspect, I mean, I'll be more than happy to help them. Ah, beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I love, I've been listening to your podcast and and now it's like, oh, who's going to be on this week? Let me see what I can learn. Well, you're going to be on very soon. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share my story. Oh, absolutely. Such a beautiful story. Thank you. And I really, really, really honor you. And I'm glad that you came here to share your wisdom, your journey, everything that has happened for you, because I always say it's not 
It doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. That's right. Yeah. I believe that too. Thank you, mama. Thank you. Love you. you And have an amazing rest of your night. And thank you to all the listeners that are listening out there. Absolutely. Thank you, my love. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.